Good morning, and welcome to the Wisdom Seekers Sunday School class. My name is Tammy Stewart, and um, I'm one of the people in this class that's on that list of 12 that we have uh, designated as teachers for the class. And so this happens to be my Sunday. This morning, we're going to uh, do a word study. And my prayer is that God will supernaturally open your minds to what the Spirit is saying to you about your times of intercession with the Lord. We know that we can connect with God at any time, anywhere. I always offer up um, this scriptural phrase, uh, especially when I'm anticipating like a push spiritually. And I always ask for a fresh sprinkling of the blood to cover my mind when I'm inquiring, meditating, or writing. You know, we know that the uh, mind is at enmity with the spirit. That's why we need the blood upon us. Um, I feel like the Lord is wanting to do a new creative thing with our minds in intercession. Um, and also trying to incorporate that into like our daily routine as we're maturing as sons of the Most High. Um, and also I think it's gonna help us streamline evangelism for other people. So let's all keep uh, our channels of consciousness in the natural and in the spirit available today as we look at these many scriptures about bringing to life an idea a method, process, or invention into a reality. My teaching is entitled Counted, and this lesson came to life while I was meditating on the scripture. Genesis uh, chapter 15, verse 6, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Today, we are going to carefully break down the word counted, and later I will elaborate on this specific scripture in Genesis. In the Old Testament, counted, which is the Hebrew word hashab, means to think, plan, make a judgment, imagine, count, and devise. That's quite a full definition, don't you think? Wow. The basic idea of this word, hashab, means the employment of the mind in a thinking activity. And this is my point. It is not so much to understand, but to create new ideas. So as we move through this study, kind of remember that little nugget. Hashab is a thinking exercise to create new ideas which can be good or bad. And we will look at examples of both. The derivatives of this word consist of three verbs and one noun. So when they were using this word in the verb tense form, it was very active and functional. In the given scenarios, we will study and parse together in this teaching, which is really my goal today. Husheb means ingenious work or showing great skill in creating or devising and it truly is original original and imaginative now the second one heshbon means reckoning and account or 
it's like the act of counting, like an itemized bill, for example, or uh, the determination of a geographic position, such as a ship by calculation. And then my last verb is hishaban, and it means a device, a plan, a scheme. Um, it can also be a stratagem, which is a military maneuver intended to surprise or deceive an enemy. Now, just for a minute, I want to look at the noun form. And it is a thing that is created in the mind and brought to life. And um, it's mock ash Mock ash I think. I'm probably tearing these words up, Monica, as we go. Oh, could be, could be, possibility. And um, it has down here thought, plan, invention. So just for a few minutes, I want to break down these three uh, defining terms for this word. And let's just look at thought. We know it's a product of thinking of an idea. Um, it is something existing in the mind, such as an image or a thought, which could be, again, good or bad. Now, my example from scripture is, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This was Genesis 6, 5. This account in Genesis is the story of the giants who were men of renown. Okay, God took notice and saw all the streams of sin that flowed along in those men's lives. They were oppressors who were mighty people and God saw that the wickedness of man was great. Now, I think that the point here is Wickedness is then very great when great men are wicked. They did not do evil through casual carelessness, but they did evil deliberately, contriving how to do mischief to other people. interesting. Let's look at this next one. Now the other defining term was plan for this word. Think about plan. It means to formulate a way to achieve to do something, right? This occurred when the Israelites, in contrast to God's will for them, said they would follow their own plans and do what they wanted. Here's my scripture. And they said, there is no hope. We will walk after our own devices. Devices means plans. And we will, everyone, do the imagination of his evil heart. This is Jeremiah 18.12. They did not want to be under the restraint of the divine law. They wanted to have liberty and they wanted to live at large. The result was they became slaves to their own lusts that they had manifested. Now let's look at the last definition for this word, invention. It is defined as a new method or process which has evolved from study and testing. So Hiram of Tyre sent to Solomon a skilled worker to use his physical and or mental effort on constructing the temple. Here's my scripture. The son of a woman of the daughters of Dan and his father was a man of Tyre, skillful to work in gold, 
and in silver, in brass, in iron, in stone, and in timber, in purple, in blue, in fine linen, and in crimson. That's not all. Also to grave any manner of graving and to find out every device, which means invention, which shall be put to him with thy cunning men and with the cunning men of my Lord David thy father. This is Second Chronicles 2.14. Um, this ingenious workman was described as being able to craft any invention which was a tangible thing brought to life with the raw materials available at that time period for the task that was assigned to him. Now, what I've just talked about is the noun form, and I just wanted to mention that briefly. It's really not the, the main thrust of my lesson, but you'll see how it ties in as we go through this. Let's keep going. There are six clear variations of the basic thought of this uh, root, Hashab, which can be found in the Old Testament. And those are those subheadings that you have on your handout. The first one is planning or devising, uh, secondly, making a judgment. Thirdly, meditating. Uh, fourth, to impute. Fifth, to invent. And then sixth is accounting. Now, remember, these are verbs. Action words that show a development. So let's look at the first use. So let's look at number one. This is planning or devising. To form new combinations or applications of ideas in the mind is what's happening and it can be for good or evil. Alright, now the backstory on this scripture is that the children of Israel were asking the prophet Zechariah with great preciseness whether they should continue their fasts. They were already greatly sinning and now they were being very hypocritical inquirers. So let's look at that. Uh, well, um, I better, I have a note here and I thought, I don't think I'll wait till the end. I think I'll do it before I read it. Um, and, and, and I hesitate because, you know, I'm actually lifting like one or two verses to, to drive my point home, but sometimes you're like, well, what was going on at that time? So that's why I, I hesitate, because I'm, I'm not sure if I'm making myself clear yet. So let me, let me insert this. Uh, the people um, were really not uh, concerned with the required duties of keeping the fast and offering sacrifices, um, but were terribly lacking in doing justly and loving mercy and also having concern and compassion for one another. I mean, this was the big issue. So Zechariah chapter 7, uh, verses 8 through 10. And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, and show mercy and compassions every man to his brother. And oppress not the widow, or the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine, okay, that means devise, that's what we're talking about right now, evil against his brother in your heart. They made their hearts a stone, and they would not comply, they would not listen to the words of the prophet. They devised their own plan for their future, which excluded serving the Lord, and they were manipulating the people for their own advantage and purposes, especially the needy and the downtrodden. Interesting example. Okay, now let's look at another one. Uh, this passage uh, that I'm going to talk about here and read, 
uh, is at the end of Genesis. And um, it's a conversation between Joseph and his uh, brothers after the death of their father Jacob. Uh, both the brothers and Joseph, they settle their differences and they come to a good understanding in order to preserve love and unity in their family. So let's look at this. It's Genesis 15, uh, 50, verses 15 through 21. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him and his brethren also went and fell down before his face and they said behold we be thy servants and joseph said unto them fear not for i for am i in the place of god but as for you ye thought or planned evil against me but god meant planned it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive now therefore fear ye not I will nourish you and your little ones and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them so um, go back to um, verse 19 uh, Joseph is speaking and he says am I in the place of God you know, make your peace with God, and then you will find it an easy matter to make your peace with me, basically is what he's saying. You know, the brothers planned evil against Joseph, but God brought good out of the evil. Our Father promotes the designs of his divine will and kingdom, even by the sins of man. His infinite wisdom overrules events that ends in his praise. All right, so this was two examples of planning or devising. Now, the second one is making a judgment. It's used to define the process of governing um, to judge in the Old Testament is mispat, and when it is expressed, it addresses the visitation of the will of God. The Lord is a God of judgment, and God loves judgment. Okay, this is a psalm, um, really, it could be for the church, uh, who is being greatly afflicted and oppressed asking that God would work deliverance for them. So let's look at that. This is Psalm 44, verses 17 through 26. All of this has come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee, neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from thy way. Thou Though thou hast sore broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death, if we have forgotten the name of God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted, there's Hashab, as sheep for the slaughter. Awake! Why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help, and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. 
you know, they're appealing to the Father. You know, they're strong in their integrity, and they've suffered many hard things and have stayed close to God. Uh, the trouble they had endured lasted a long time, and it was very great. You know, the men had been fierce and cruel to them, but they had the assurance that God would not leave him or them if they did not leave him first. You know, if we have forgotten our God under the pretense that he had forgotten us or in distress, we have stretched our, our hands to a strange God, which can be any number of things um, that we have conjured up in our heads, um, shall not God search this out? Shall he not judge it and call us to account for it? Yes. Our prayer is, God, it is for your sake we are killed all the day long because we belong to you and are called by your name and will not worship other gods or idols. We have been created for your pleasure to devote ourselves to you every day. Okay, now let's look at another very moving example about judgment. Uh, the two great things which the Spirit of Christ accomplished in the Old Testament prophets was they testified beforehand concerning the sufferings of Christ. We know that. And then the glory that should follow. And I think most of us know this verse by memory, or verses. Uh, Isaiah 53, uh, verses 4 and 5. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem, that's the word judge that we're talking about, him stricken to lay the hand upon, smitten to severely strike, and afflicted, browbeaten, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. That means beat to pieces. For our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, which is wounds, we are healed. All right, there's four things here. First, Christ did the will or the plan of the Father. Then he made the atonement for the sin of man. Next, he bore his sufferings with invincible patience. And then finally, his sufferings would end in his immortal honor. All right. These next verses are about Job. And, and he's conversing with his friend, Elihu. Um, his friend is uh, attempting to explain the care that God takes care of man when he puts bodily afflictions upon us, or upon Job in this case. So it's Job, uh, chapter 33, verses 8 through 13. Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and have heard the voice of thy word saying, I am clean without transgression, I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasions against me, he counteth, here it means judges, me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks, he marketh all my paths. Behold, in this thou art not just, I will answer thee, that God is greater than man. Why dost thou stride? That means to contend or debate against him. For he giveth not account. He does not answer of any of his matters. You know, Job had judged God as being very severe in marking what Job did wrong, as if God was looking for an opportunity to pick quarrels with him. You know, that's the expression he findeth occasions against me in verse 10. Um, 
Job had contrived in his mind that God was planning his demise with these sicknesses and pains, like they were tokens of God's wrath upon him. Now his friend, Elihu, he endeavors to convince Job that he has spoken amiss and that he ought to you know, humble himself before God uh, by repenting. You know, God is not only more wise and powerful than we are, but more holy, just, and good. You know, those are the qualities of God's divine nature. Job needed to tear down this imperfect structure that he had created in his mind about the ways of God not being just. Have we ever done this? We all have. Let me stop a minute. Any thoughts, comments? I think Trisha has a comment. <laughs> 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 I don't know you're ready, that. <laughs> she is a good listener. <laughs> So let's go to the third use, and this is meditating. To think deeply and quietly, you know, to consider, contemplate, uh, ponder, to reflect on, to study, and it also means to practice. Um, Christian meditation is the process of deliberately focusing on specific thoughts such as a Bible passage or reflecting on its meaning in the context of the love of God. Um, these uh, next verses speak of righteousness, of the righteous that speak for God, and it's also about the precious promises that he has made them. So let's look at Malachi uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Then they that feared, now there's two feareds here, so this one is reference or awe. That's what this one means. The Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared. Now this feared is yar, and I'll come back to it. So them that feared the Lord and that thought meditated upon his name and they shall be mine saith the Lord of hosts in that day when I make up my jewels or my peculiar treasure and I will spare or I will have compassion on them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. You know, in every age there has been a remnant that revered the Lord. They thought upon his name, they pondered, they considered the discoveries God had made in himself, in his word. Um, they spoke often one to another concerning the God they honored and they held him in very high esteem. They spoke intelligently to one another to increase the faith and the holiness. And when iniquity was bold and barefaced, the people took courage and stirred themselves. And doesn't that just sound like us? Yes. All right. The, the second word um, for fear, you know, in the last part of verse 16 is yar, which also means the intellectual anticipation of evil without emphasis upon the emotional reaction. That's what Yar means here. The intellectual anticipation of evil without emphasis upon the emotional reaction. All right, I'm going to give you an example. Um, 
Jacob uh, had fled from Laban, his father-in-law, with cattle wives and all of his children. And he anticipated or was afraid that his family would be taken from him. And, you know, God had already told him that early on to return to your homeland. So Jacob's temper uh, during their first meeting was, was calm when he was confronted by Laban. Um, Jacob had been a good servant and a faithful shepherd, you know, while serving him all those many years. God was well aware of the wrong that was done to Jacob as well, and he was protected and covered by our father during that time period. Now, later, Laban and Jacob made a covenant, and then what happened? Laban returned home empty-handed. Now, I want you to um, go back to uh, verse 18. And um, I know I'm talking about meditating, but I, I want to reference something here. Um, verse 18 speaks of the, the last judgment. And, you know, it's easy uh, to discern between righteous and wicked uh, at that time period, at the end, because every person's character will both be perfected and perfectly discovered. Everyone will then appear in their true colors, and the disguises are going to be taken off at the time of the judgment in the end. And uh, it's interesting how it was just, you know, we're, we're talking about Jacob and Laban, but look what happened on verse 18 back up here in Malachi. You know, I was giving you Jacob and Laban for an example, and here all of a sudden is inserted this scripture. It, it, you almost think it's, it's very powerful, but you almost think it's out of place, you know, where, they, where it's been placed in the word. Um, but let's just keep going. Um, the next one is Psalm. Um, uh, the historians think that uh, this next Psalm uh, was penned right after David became king. We're not sure. Um, he is thankful for the goodness of his father in advancing him in the government. And, and David prays uh, for help against his enemies and, and prosperity for his kingdom. So let's look at this. This is Psalm 144, verses 1 through 8. Blessed be the Lord, my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. My goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account? That means to have thoughts of him. Man is like to vanity, his days are as a shadow that passes away. Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down, touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Cast forth lightning and scatter them, shoot out thine arrows and destroy them. Send thine hand from above, rid me and deliver me out of great waters, from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Um, uh, our focus really, it's powerful, our focus really is verse 3, um, where David admires and he really shows surprise concerning the respect that God has for the identity of man. Um, you know, um, the mortality of humanity is so frail, so weak, helpless, and we're surrounded with so many infirmities that, you know, here God would uh, condescend to have thoughts of, of David. You know, he's such a lowly man. But think about this for a moment. This is like God meditating on David. So if God is meditating on David, and this is one of the scriptures that ties in with meditation for Hashab, which is what we're talking about here. 
So if he was meditating on David, think about us. Isn't he meditating on us as well? Yes. Now, this is not on your handout, but what came to me when I was looking at this, uh, this is a scripture I picked. Uh, this is uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. You know, peace is the acceptance of the will of God. And expected means the thing that God, you know, longs for, which is bringing something to an appointed end and entering into a state of wholeness and unity. So I, I think that's very powerful. You know, I, I think about meditative meditation a lot. I talk about it a lot, and I do it a lot. But I don't think I'd ever taken time to think about, I, I love that scripture, but I don't ever think that I thought, oh, he's meditating on me, you know. Wow, he is. All right, you're really quiet. Um, I'm just going to keep going. Uh, this is our fourth one now. And this is impute, to impute, uh, to ascribe or to attribute an attribute, uh, given an attribute similar to, uh, let me start that again. To impute is to attribute or ascribe to another a similar quality. So my example is um, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to believers through faith. It is on the basis of Jesus' righteousness that God accepts humans. In religious circles, um, this acceptance is also referred to as justification. I heard that numerous times as a child, and it, they always would say justification, just as if I never had sinned. Some of you are nodding at me. Um, impute. Okay, I'm going to slow this down. Um, we're going to now look at those key verses uh, that started the creation of this teaching. Um, you know, Genesis 15, verses 2 through 6. Um, this example here in scripture is the very first time uh, the word righteousness is used. I think you can remember Pastor referencing this. Uh, we call it the law of first issuance. So what we want to do is we want to take a careful uh, look, really notice what, what God is saying here. And uh, let me stop and let's, let's read it. Um, and Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels, and shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and said, look. Now look here means to scan. So scan now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed and we know that is Ammon. At the right hand we are given prophetic directive in the Lord and he counted or he imputed it to him for righteousness. So counted here is imputed. Now, Abraham complained that he had no child. And then secondly, that he was never to have any, which is the phrase, uh, seeing I go childless. And then uh, third, that his servants were likely to be his sons. That was the assumption. And God's answer to this complaint was the express promise of a son from Abraham himself. We know Abraham believed God, which is the word 
Ahmad, which means to be commissioned from the right hand of God. Then it was imputed to Abraham, meaning he was accepted by the Father, and through faith he obtained witness that he was righteous. Okay, I'm going to spend a little time here. This is kind of a review for all of us. <clears throat> in the New Testament, we've been in the Old Testament all this time. In the New Testament, righteousness is translated from the Greek word dikaiosune, meaning equity. And it's taken directly from the root word dikaino, meaning to show. So what is occurring here is we combine our measure of insight with the words of faith from God, and if you look back at verse 5, uh, God shows, he showed Abraham, but he also shows us something like a vision, and our going forth is, is that is righteousness as we go forward. That is our righteousness. And it's not a one-time event. It happens over. It's a cycle. It happens over and over and over. Now here's kind of a, um, I guess I want to say um, a word of warning. Um, I'm talking to mature sons here. So let's, maybe we'll say this is a reminder. Uh, iniquity also stems from this Greek word for righteousness and means a false showing or not being of the proper sight or intent. Iniquity and unrighteousness both in the Old and New Testament has to do with the abandonment or distortion of the vision of God concerning his will. So it can be the creation of good or bad, which we have referenced earlier several times. So we have to be very tight. I don't think we ever used that expression before. <laughs> with the Lord. We have to be really tight with him because we always want to be going into the toe. We don't want to be falling back into iniquity. Iniquity is evil. We don't want that to happen. Interesting, huh? Same word. Um, okay, let's do one more on impute. And it's, it's Psalm 32. Um, David is giving instruction on what we must do in order to be happy. Our happiness consists in the favor of God, and it's not in the wealth of this world. It resides in spiritual blessings. Okay, Psalm 32, 1 through 6. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord, Yahweh, imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all day long. For day and night, the hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah? For this, shall, for this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto me. When sin is pardoned, it is covered with Christ's righteousness 
It is not the imputing of iniquity, meaning not laying it to the sinner's charge, for God laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all and made him sin for us. All right, let's keep going. Uh, the fifth variation is to invent. To originate, produce, fabricate, you know, that means uh, to s assemble. Uh, formulate, that means to prepare according to a formula. So <clears throat> chapter 35 of Exodus, um, Moses is giving Israel instructions uh, he received from God which required immediate observance of the Sabbath and the law. Um, the middle part of this chapter, because you know I only have a little section here, but the middle part is concerning contributions for erecting the temple, uh, the framing and the utensils, and then uh, towards the end, the people are to bring their contributions, and then finally, at the very, very end, it talks about how the head workmen were designated. So it's a really long, uh, wordy chapter. And I just lifted these scriptures out of that passage. Um, Moses orders all that are skilled uh, must work. So in verse 10 of this uh, chapter, uh, it states that all the wise-hearted among you shall come and make, or they're going to come and create. Um, those that were rich were going to bring materials to work on, and those that were ingenious Oh, we're going to serve the tabernacle with their ingenuity. Uh, they needed one another, and so the tabernacle needed both of them in order to create the temple. So let's look at this. Uh, this is Exodus 35, verses 30 through 35. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord called by name Bezaleel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he hath filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. And to devise curious works, to work in gold, and in silver, and in brass, and in the cutting of stones, and to set them, and in carving of wood, to make any manner of cunning work. And he hath put in his heart that he may teach both he and Ahoylath, the son of Ahishamash, of the tribe of Dan. Them hath he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work, of the engraver, and of the cunning workman, and of the embroiderer, in blue, and in purple, in scarlet, and in fine linen, and of the weaver even of them that do any work. And those that devise, this means invent. So this is what we're talking about here. Cunning work. Okay, uh, please notice that here is the divine appointment of the master workman. Why? So that there would be no strife for the office. You know, God is a God of order and not of confusion. Those whom God called by name to this service, he filled with the Spirit of God to qualify them for this task or task. You know, skill in secular employment is God's gift, and it comes from above. Did you ever think that about your job? If you worked? You know, when the apostles were appointed to be master builders in setting up the gospel tabernacle, they were filled with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding. They were appointed not only to devise, but to work. They not only uh, were going to devise and work for themselves, 
but they were also going to teach others. You know, we don't talk about that one too much, but it's there. Uh, in verse 34, uh, not only had Bezalel power to command, but he was also to take pains to instruct. Those that rule should teach, and those to whom God has given knowledge should be willing to communicate it for the benefit of others and not covet it or monopolize it. All right, this, this next uh, verse, uh, uh, this chapter in Chronicles is an account of the reign of King Uzziah. Uh, this portion of scripture uh, is speaking about his great prosperity in wars, in his buildings, and, and all the affairs of his kingdom. So let's look at this. Second Chronicles chapter 26, 14 through 15. And Uzziah prepared for them throughout all the host shields and spears and helmets and coats of mail and bows and slings uh, to cast stones. And he made in Jerusalem engines. So let me stop there a second. Remember page one. Need to flip back. Um, this is the word hishaban, uh, which is a verb, and it's an actual uh, warlike machine or a device. We don't really know what it looks like. We just have an idea, okay? Now that's that word. Now look at the next one. So, made in Jerusalem engines and then invented, if you're looking back on your first page, this is makashabah, which was the noun you know, that I talked about for a little while that we couldn't hardly say, the word. Uh, this is an, an invention. So isn't that interesting? We've got the verb and the noun, and they both speak of a device or an invention. And they're right together. I, I find that very uh, significant that that happened. So, and he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the walls to shoot arrows and great stones withal and his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. So Uzziah furnished himself with a great armory, as you can see. Um, swords are not mentioned um, because it's probable that every man had his own sword. Um, so engines were invented in his time for what purpose? To annoy the besiegers you know, that were coming against them with darts and stones uh, against the tower and their, and their walls at that time period. Interesting. Now, this is the Old Testament. It hasn't just faded away and, and it's never to occur again. Wonder what's going to happen today. I don't know. Hey, Tammy. I, I don't know if this cunning man is the same that you find in other passages, which is actually the word yada. I don't have the capacity to look it up right now, but that's okay. Y a d a, right? Yeah, which yeah. is really interesting because you know that's praise. That's the extension of the hand. That's really revelatory. It's like revelation that comes through that submission, but also the intimacy that we gain through our our surrender to take the, the hand of the Lord. And I think it's interesting that the invention, you know, God's in all of it, right? I mean, <laughs> he's the source of all of our creativity, but I like that it says that. And once again, I'll have to go back and look and see if that's what it is, but cunning men are, um, they're, they're praisers. You know, they're, they're ones that, that lead and that extend the hand. So I just brought that Oh, up. I think that's great. It, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be like you. I'll be on my phone trying to figure that. Because I, I looked up a lot of things, but I didn't look that one up. So that's, that's very good. All right, I'm going to make this. This is our very last one. So is the engine a hand? 
You know, I often wonder about that. Yeah, a hemi. A what? A hemi? A hemi? What is that? Oh, man. You want to tell her very briefly what a hemi is? I mean, it's an engine. It is. It's a car engine. All right, so here's, okay, here's my last one. Um, Actually, cutting in there is to sob. Ah, never mind then. <laughs> but it means to play or uh, enter or penetrate, so it's like a, you know, you're actually creating something. You're weaving something, fabricating something. Well, boy, haven't we talked about that. I mean, that's exactly what we've been talking about all morning, you know? Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, no, I agree. No, I, that we're, we're flowing here. Okay, the last one. This is accounting. Um, you know, it's a bookkeeping method. It's involved in making a financial record or a business transaction. Uh, to, it means to compute. Uh, it means to make an account of. So the law of this chapter in Leviticus, uh, it concerns the lands and the estates of the Israelites in Canaan and the occupying and the transferring of which were to be under divine direction. I always kind of read through that real fast when I'm in that part of Leviticus, but I, that's, that's very powerful. Um, God appointed that every seventh year uh, should be a year of rest from occupying the land, and, and we know that's called the sabbatical year, and then every 50th year should be a year of jubilee, which is the year of release from debts and, and mortgages. So <coughs> let's. <laughs> what is that again? Father, bring, bring that into the New Testament. We accept that, yes. Leviticus 25, verses 23 through 28. Before you go on, your, that word you said is your, your signature word for counts. Yes. Cunning men. That's what I'm saying. Cunning men is the same as your signature word. Yes, yes. I, I, no, I heard you. No, okay. I heard you. I Thank you. Right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm very excited. That's pretty cool. Thank you, God. Um, uh, let's see. No, no, that's right. You know me. I'm just trying to get done here. But um, I hate to keep you over. Uh, but this is interesting. So let me, let me slow myself down because this is really important in closing. It really is. Uh, the land shall not be sold forever. For the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, ye shall grant a redemption for the land. If thy brother be waxen poor, and hath sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if the man have none to redeem it, and himself be able to redeem it, then let him count, okay, here's the performance of, of bookkeeping, uh, the years of the sale thereof, and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, that he may return unto his possession. If he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it uh, until the year of Jubilee. I was thinking of something. I'm sorry, that's why I hesitated. And in the Jubilee it shall go out and he shall return unto his possession. Okay. Uh, no land should be sold forever from the family to whose lot it fell in the division of the land in the beginning. Uh, the reason given is the land is, and, and we read it, is God's. The land is God's. And the Israelites are only temporary uh, inhabitants. All right, I've got to take this slow because a lot of times I read this and I'm like, okay, I, I think I have it. But let's, let's go real slow. If a man uh, was forced through poverty um, to sell his land in order to have a livelihood and to you know, financially uh, you know, maintain his family, uh, later, if he was able, 
he might redeem it before the year of Jubilee, and the price must be settled according to the number of years since the sale and before the Jubilee. And this is our word count. Okay, I'm kind of reviewing here. If the person himself was not able to redeem it, his next kinsman may. The kinsman is called Goel. Now let me, it's G-O-E-L. Goel, I might have mispronounced it. Meaning, you'll love this, meaning the redeemer to whom belong the right of redeeming the land. And you know, I just never thought about this. This typified Christ who assumed our nature that he might be our kinsman or redeemer. <coughs> okay, let me bring this to a close. If the land was not redeemed uh, before the year of Jubilee, then it should return, of course, to him that had sold or mortgaged it. Uh, in the Jubilee year, it is restored again to the original owner. Okay, here's what's cool. This too was a figure or representation of the free grace of God towards us in Christ, by which we are restored to the favor of God. Wow, very beautiful, very precious. So, here's my closing thought. You know, we serve a wonderfully creative God whose ways are past finding out, but we, we look for them in intercession. We're always trying to find those, and we do, but there's so many. It's just so huge, so fast. Um, my prayer was in the beginning, and it is now, that the Father would develop you and he would bring you into a knowing in intercession in particular, but also a knowing in your job, if you walk through that every day, and really hone in you this, this word, this hashah that I talked about. You know, um, I gave you different examples here, and I know this was very stretching. Stretching, and um, I think that when you kind of look back through this, or maybe you re-listen to this, because I need to kind of review this in my mind as well, um, he's going to speak to you about your skill sets, but it may be in an area that I haven't even tapped today. Um, so I think just be open to the spirit. Um, he loves you very much. And um, I didn't find it easy to put this together. Uh, my goal was to try to uh, keep it simple and pull in the scriptures, even though sometimes, you know, you know we, we were all over the New Testament. But I was, my hope was to clarify what that term meant based on where it was found in scripture. And um, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think he wanted you to hear this, and I want, he wants you to make preparation and get ready for an adventure. And, and that's probably a very unusual word to pick. But I don't want to say journey. I, I, don't, I, I, I think it's an adventure. I think you're going to be um, surprised. I think you're going to take great pleasure in what God shows you concerning your spiritual giftings. And I think that what I did today was I laid the groundwork today. And, uh, you know, I, I prayed all week that, you know, Father, whatever I say, just make sure it's clear, that it come across clear to them so that they know that when they step into that intercession or in that time, you know, intercession, I always think about me hiding away somewhere. But if I'm in the car, I'm praying all the time. You know, I'm talking to God all the time. Maybe I shouldn't call it prayer. I don't know. But you don't have to be proscuneal when this happens, okay? Uh, I can remember when I was a teacher, I remember praying at school and, you know, talking to him in my head. But in front of me was either the staff 
because we're in a staff meeting, or maybe I was in my classroom, but I didn't have anybody at the time. I don't know. It, it happened at various times with me. But they were very powerful encounters, and I was not prosecutorially. I was not at the church. So uh, I feel like I'm just prepping you for this. Um, let me just look down here and see. I, I wrote myself little notes here. Because, um, you know, I was looking for the words, well, how to close. I'm just going to read this. It says, you are a treasure and a person of great value to him. Father, release to them the hashab, or the ability to create new ideas spiritually. And that was my closing. So I bless you all. Yeah. And you might find this interesting. In the Jewish calendar, this is the year of Jubilee. Us conspiracy theories who have been proven right time and time again are being told that at some point here when the White Hats take back over, everything that was taken from us in taxes and by the privilege of the law be restored to us. Wow. And it's supposedly going to happen in the year of Jubilee. And this is the year of Jubilee. I, year I, of did, Jubilee I didn't know that. Jewish calendar. Isn't that 50? The year of Jubilee? 50 years. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. Because a lot of this started 50 years ago. Okay. What we're seeing now. And what we're seeing now with the morons in charge is a purpose destruction. Mm -hmm. So people see how evil MIC. the evil <laughs> is. And it's all going to be restored to us. That would be a wonderful blessing, Father. It truly would. Well, we love you all very much, and be blessed this day. Amen. Oh, next week, uh, Monica Terrell will fill in the gaps.